Welcome to episode 584 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 584 of Iron Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good. Are you, Bevan? I'm feeling pretty good, actually. Actually, went for a run this morning. I'm a bit tired. Oh, good. Yeah, went for a run then to the class and I need to go back to bed, John. Okay, well, you've got about an hour and a half and then you can do that. Okay, lock it in. Okay, guys, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your Buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few. Jonathan, the Lumberjack Woodman. We've got Kevin, the Assassin Hunt. And Scott, the Sleek Chic Sheridan. Right, guys, this week we've got a, a few things happening on the show. We've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We've got Statistic. We've got an interview. We have. We're going to talk to Steve Kirby and Wayne Kurtz uh, talking about ultra-distance racing in the US. I've got some exciting news for you guys that want to go... Really, really long. Nut bar level. We've got Wanger of the Week, and we've got some questions and answers at the end. Well, the big race that was happening over the weekend as we head into the news was the Super League race was happening, John. And I've got to say, it wasn't as easy to follow this time for us plebs who aren't on main TV as what it was last time. So for us in New Zealand, it was still was on Sky Sports. Oh, was uh, it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Oh, okay. So now I watched uh, watched the f- day one live on Sky Sports pop up channel, Ooh. and then the second day the timing was uh, it was delayed about, coverage. Tell me about the package then. How did they do it on live? I was ex- uh, well, they didn't have day one live over here, but they had it delayed. Well, I didn't see it actually live. It may have been, but it was on eight o'clock on Sunday morning, and uh, it was just. Two hour, four hours of back-to-back triathlon. Oh, really? And then the second day was live, so it was in the middle of the night, so I wasn't able to capture that. And as Bevan said, because we're cheap asses, I couldn't actually record it on my Skybox and watch it later. Uh, but I was a little bit triathloned out after day one, I've got to admit. Four hours of uh, racing. And well, see, I watched the first day on YouTube. They put that up, although they, they it was interesting what they did on YouTube because they put it up first day and then... It went down. So they just had the whole four hours up. And they missed the first part of the men's race. Okay. And so it was quite good because I was able to just to flick through to the races and not have the gaps. Hmm. And so I was able to see all the races of the first day. But then they haven't done as, that. For as yet. They haven't got day two up on YouTube. No. So I was lucky highlights, enough. but not. Yeah. I was lucky enough that I saw the, got up early and I was watching live the final race of day two for the men's race. So we'll talk a bit about that. So yes, Super League round two it was in Jersey. So that's just... Uh, between, if my geography is right, between the UK and France. And one of the questions I was sort of posing last week was whether at this time of the year in that part of the world could be marginal. Uh, day one, it looked pretty nice. The water did look like, it was, sounded like it was, uh, you know, a little bit fresh, but they seemed to manage okay with that. Very tight circuit, so they had a 300-metre swim through a marina, so they were swimming around, you know, yachts and boats and stuff, came in, had a bit of an uphill into transition, and then the bike circuit was a 1K lap with a bit of everything. It had a roundabout on it, it had uh, some cobbles, very tight twisting very narrow if any of you saw Hamburg um, ITU race it was somewhat similar to that pretty narrow pretty hard to actually 
move up the line because you haven't got big wide streets, so a lot of single lane, uh, single line riding. And then the run was so it was five laps on the bike, five k, and then the run was two laps of the same one kilometer circuit. So day one was the the triple mix, and that was a, you know doing the a triathlon in different orders, so three races, different races um, with all different orders, so you started with a swim bike run, second race uh, was actually then pursuit style, so the guys that had the lead in race one had a head start and uh, and then the same applied in race three. So what we were going to do now is we're going to... Uh, we're going to do a pause. If you don't want to know, it's, it's worth watching. Yeah, we don't want to ruin it for those who want to watch it. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a pause, talk about it, time how long that takes, come back and let you know how fast for, how far to fast forward on the show if you don't want to know the results. So we're going to pause. It's going to be a lot of editing for me, team, but we'll do that. So we're going to pause and we're going to talk about the race. But before we do, we're going to let you know how long that does. So... We'll see you in two seconds, and you know more about how we're doing this. Okay, now we recorded the next bit, and we just wanted to, if you don't want to know about the race and you want to go on YouTube and watch it, although not all the races are up there yet, hopefully they will be, mm. and be careful when you go on there, because you can see the results if you're not careful, so just make sure you do that, but the next section goes to 10 minutes and 15 seconds, so if you want to fast forward 10 minutes 15, you can do that right now. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the race, John, so the eliminated race, what happened? No, so this is the the, the triple mix was yep. day one, uh, and I, I asked for some comments on Facebook, and we got some really good ones. Vicky Jones said, "Loved it again. I preferred the format of the triple mix last time, where it was separate races. As once the lead three pulled away, there was no coming back. Um, so I totally agree with that. So what happened in race one was you got the front guys uh, of um, Murray, Brownlee, and Blumenfeld. They got a breakaway on the bike. Good on them. But then they were able to." basically TT away and the race was more or less over after race one and it just came down to the final race, the final run. Yeah, and, and you wouldn't uh, have picked that, would you? Y- y- yes and no, you probably would have. He, he, he did pretty, pretty well. Oh yeah, no, Blumenfeld, so Blumenfeld and he was fighting, took, out, took out the race, but he's had a very good tail end of the season. He finished second at the uh, ITU grand finale, so not totally surprising, but if you were a betting man, you probably would have gone for Murray in, in those circumstances, especially given Brownlee's been uh, a little bit off form this season. So, yeah, so he had a breakaway of three, and it was uh, in that sort of, they did that in race one, and then it kind of, I think one of the things they need to do here as well is create a bit of incentive in some of these races rather than just having the athletes cross the line together because there was no incentive for those guys to have a sprint finish because they kind of knew they're all going to finish within mm, one or two seconds so they're all going to start together so they kind of all crossed the line together and, and didn't really sprint it out uh, so that was a little bit disappointing uh, similar sort of thing happened in the, the girls race um, it started to split up on the the bike and Nicholas Spirig was the surprise of the day. I mean, we know she's a fantastic athlete, you know, Olympic, Olympic, two-time Olympic medalist, but she had a baby. I didn't realize it was only four months yeah. ago. Yeah. So she came back and really tore it to pieces on the bike and split things up and got away with Katie Zaveris and um, and uh, what's the Belgium's girl's name? Claire Michelle. And then Summer Cook managed to, to run up to them and they ended up being pretty similar to the guys' race and Katie Zaveris ended up taking it on the, on the final run. So day one was, um, yeah. One thing I would say is you said it was a bit of a surprise on the guys' side. I don't think it was a surprise. I just think with those three there, 
he would have been the guy he picked third. Mm. And he would have, you know, when he took that last, that last it was 2K in that last yeah. run, yeah. He, he put the foot down. And Richard Murray caught him up and you thought, well, Richard Murray's just playing around with him. <clears throat> and then he searched again and he dropped him. But man, he was, he was fighting. He, he, it was he bloody always, impressive. He does always look like that when he races. Katie Zaveris, on the other hand, you know, she's beating some top quality athletes there and she is a very good athlete she does very well on the ITU circuit but she just doesn't look that fast when she runs she's got these arms that are quite <laughs> low like that, aren't they? yeah uh, she's obviously clearly extremely fast but mm. she does not look like she's fast but it's funny but isn't it because some people look like they're putting all the effort out in the world mm. and and then other people look seamless don't they mm. yeah so she was she was pretty dominant when it came down to uh that final race and she really the main area where she had the little edge was she's much better swimmer than uh nicholas spurig uh so she managed to get away and and took day one so what one difference with this race as well is lots of athletes were getting eliminated so if you fell 90 seconds behind uh you See were you eliminated later. and on the guys side you know there's 24 starters and i think they only finished with 14 it was around about that it was either 12 or 14 and the girls was was fairly similar was it only 90 seconds yeah wow and the ra- the rationale behind that was not it w- was basically Laps. that meant you were going to get lapped and you were going to get in the way and there wasn't uh, scope for, for passing or anything like that so lots of athletes got eliminated on day one they were able to come back on day two and uh, and carry on racing yep. but the same thing applied on day two if you fell 90 seconds behind you were gone ski so rolling on to day two. Uh, so I, I haven't seen day two, so I, I don't know a lot about it. So no, nor do I. So it was the eliminator format, and which basically means you started with all the athletes and you dropped down to, I think it was 15 for the second race, and then you dropped down to... It was this all short course try. Yes, okay. swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run. So like Bevan, I haven't actually seen race. Uh, I only saw the final race of the men's event, and that really uh, was... A pretty similar show to um, the, the day one where it came off the bike and Christian Blumenfeld uh, just went out there and crushed it. He uh, put the hammer down straight away. Richard Murray tried to stay with him, couldn't. Johnny Brownlee tried to stay with him uh, and couldn't. And uh, yeah, so it was for that sort of distance. Blumenfeld um, was pretty dominant, really. Mm. And it's in terms of the girls' side of things, Katie Zverus uh, took that out as well. Haven't actually seen that coverage, but she ended up beating Summer Cook by three seconds and uh, a few seconds back to Nicholas Spurig as well. Um, anything else? No, so a few other comments on, I asked some questions on Facebook of what people sort of thought of the coverage and, and what have you. Um, one thing that did really come out was Alistair Brownlee was a fantastic He was, wasn't he? He really was. Really, really good. Just, you know, like, um, showed so much depth in a way Joe Public could really get value from it. And a lot more depth than I think a lot of other triathletes would give. So you have Emma Sosal in there. She's pretty good. Yeah, she is good. But he took it to a whole other level. He was sort of, Explaining what was would be going through his mind. So I'm watching Jonathan Brownlee's hand come into the water. It's mm-hmm. his face. Did you see that? I didn't notice. His hand is literally like a, an L. You yeah. know, like the hand, or, you know, upside down L. As his hand comes in, he doesn't slide in and then pull through. It's literally like grab. It was okay. really interesting. Yeah. There you go. You should be a swim coach. Oh man. Uh, so most people agreed. The you know. Uh, Bradley Murphy said, quality racing, exciting, great broadcasting, great commentary, great package, nice to have something new. I reckon it 
exacerbates the talent of the top few, though. No hiding at all. Tim Carpenter's got a really interesting comment. It wasn't on TV in Australia this time. Maybe they didn't sell as many TV rights this time, and that contributed to prize money reductions. Yeah, and that was one quick why I posted this question. I saw them standing on the podium, and I saw Blumenfeld hold up a, you know, they had the cardboard check, and it said $18,000. And I thought... I wonder if that's just for that race mm. or what it is, because I was sure it was a lot more at the previous races, and most people backed me up here. They said uh, in Hamilton Island um, it was 100000 for first, 50000 for second, 25000 for third. Don't know how it dropped off uh, further down. On the – on the um, this time around, it was basically comparable to an ITU in terms of the top three in ITU World Triathlon Series race. So the money's not crap, but it's certainly nowhere near what it was. 18000 for first, 12000 for second, and 8000 for third. So the thing I'm thinking is, do you think they paid more in appearance fee? So it's either they didn't get as much money, so they didn't have as much to distribute, but they still got everyone there. They did. Well, and, and, you know, for just a typical ITU race, at the end of the season, it's got to be a bit of better cherry, doesn't it? Yes, especially when you got all that, you know, the bonuses riding on the ITU side. Yeah, so you so kind of think, well, everyone turned up. I think there's probably a few things going on here. Is firstly, you know, they've only got half as much prize money because they've got the females there. So True. They've got a, but they've the got to overall prize money was a lot less too because I think it was two ten last time in right. one ten or one fifteen or something. Um, secondly, I agree that I'm sure they must be getting paid appearance fees and being being looked after. But you would hope as well that the athletes have some moral fibre and that they are actually going. You know, we really want to support this and make sure it kicks on. And maybe there was, you know, maybe there was maybe there was some discussions around that saying, guys, really just need to support this round and then we'll we'll see what happens. So. Not privy to any any further information than that, but it certainly was a big uh, prize check um, di- um, reduction. So a couple of other comments. Sam Latham, disappointed on the first day. The lead three guys just kept pulling away and no one really had a chance to come back. Haven't seen the second day yet. Uh, Wayne Good, overall it was excellent. Better for dropping the time trial. Weather buggered the women's race on day two. Alistair Brownlee was pretty good on commentary. And that was a, the general theme there. Old Ben Sala said uh, was actually there watching it live from the finish line. Great viewing. I don't think we ever had more than a minute between people coming past, which makes watching it in person fantastic too. Not like many triathletes or cycle races where you have only got to see someone flash past mm. once in a blue moon. It happens near you go and watch and that was again a big difference between this race and Hamilton Island the course was lined with spectators uh, so it would have been pretty cool for the athletes St. Lethan's got a pretty good one disappointed with the first day the three guys I've just kept pulling away I did, yeah, 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 yeah pretty interesting one um, so overall I still don't think they've got the format 100% right yet no it's bloody it's still really really good oh, I mean, yeah, we don't want totally. to be downing on them no, or anything no, like they're that they doing a great job uh, it's really cool but um, but I agree, they've just got to tw- keep tweaking it, but it's still learning, you know, and, and I think they thought that, pers- maybe they thought that pursuit format might work a little bit more exciting, people might come back, but I think in the f- in round one, what worked really well is in those that triple mix, you had different winners, I think, of each race, you know, mm. um, Richard Varga won the, the swim race um, when it finished with the swim, so I kind of liked that format where you've got, everybody's got a chance and different winners, whereas I think... Blumenfeld, of all the races that I saw, which was four out of six, he was first across the line in all four of those. So dominant display, but at the same time, would be um, it's nice to have a bit of a mix-up. Okay, so we're going to pause. Now we're going to go back and tell you this is going to take about 10 minutes. So I'm going to pause. Back in a second. 
I wonder, just just before we do move on from this, I wonder when the next race is going to be. Mm. Mm, interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we see that. Oh, I, I love it. I think it is. It is one of the races I've wanted to watch this year. Oh, we're back on, are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, did you not know? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I pushed record, John. Um, so, yep, that's uh, Super League. It'll be interesting to see when they have the next race in their calendar. Okay, John, Ironman Italy over the weekend. Let's analyse the results. Thanks to Torsten at tryraining.com for having all his results nice and easy to read in one place. Uh, it was, I, I mentioned this last night, last week, I said Andreas Dreitz, you know, on, on debut, see how he goes, and he went out there and crushed it. I thought it was going to be Andreas Dreitz versus Timo Bracht. It ended up being Andreas Dreitz uh, more or less crushing everybody on the bike by about 15 to 16 minutes. Wait a second, and Dawson's green here, does that mean they beat their expected time? Yes, and okay. because he was on debut, he's got green, green, green. Yeah. So Andreas Dreitz swam 46, uh, he biked a wicked 4.16. That's a pretty complete performance, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then a 2.51 on the run. So for an 8.03.27, not quite making that sub eight hour on debut. Uh, yet Peterson Bach was second in 8.12, and and. Andre Vistica was third in 8.17. Timo Bracht only managed to get fifth. Didn't have the greatest run for him. Only ran three hours. So he would normally expect to go a little bit quicker than that. Uh, on the girls' side. The Gossinator. She is just continuing to dominate. Really? Continuing. It wasn't a dojo domination this time, but it's still bloody impressive. Swam 54, rode 4.51 and ran 3.11 for a 9.06 for around about a seven-minute victory over Tina Dickers and... And Martina Bernardi in third place. We had Challenge Madrid happen over the weekend as well. And good old Tim Van Holtem took it out. It, he did. Unfortunately, Dylan McNeese, he was uh, leading out of the swim. He swam 48 and he was second place off the bike with a 5.03. But had a DNF on the run. Just mm. tweaked his back the day before. Oh, he did he? But annoyed because he was trying to you know, finish really high in the overall rankings. I think he said he needed to finish... Second to maintain his position, so a bit of a bummer for him. But Timothy Van Holten, as Bevan said, took it out 8.33. Lucas Kramer, second, 8.49. And Alejandro Santa Maria was in third in 8.56. Really slow bike times over there. I read that it was around about 3,000 metres of elevation on the bikes, so 4.44 is not electric fast, but it sounded pretty challenging. I was disappointed Gomez didn't even go sub nine. I know. So yeah, you, know, you think Javier Gomez would go easily sub nine. Yeah, and he only swam a 108, and he's one of the best swimmers uh, in the world. What happened? What happened? So Javier Go Garcia Gomez, not Javier Gomez Neuer, did Do we, do we have the girls' place. results here, John? We do. Uh, Lisa Roberts, I believe, I think she might have been on... And I think it's her first iron distance win. I'm not sure if she was on debut. Uh, slow swim times, one hour ten, and then yeah, uh, that's slow, isn't it? Five twenty six, and then a two very impressive two fifty seven though, for and a complete dojo. No, not quite a dojo domination. One minute off a dojo domination. She had a nine thirty four. Second place Gabriella Zelinka from Hungary in nine fifty three, and third Sophie Goose in ten twelve. We had Ironman Chattanooga, which was a female only pro race, and Liz Lyles took it out in a dojo domination. John and the cool thing is, 
she beat all the age group men yeah, as well. Yeah, she did too. So the, she got she came in at a time of 9.05.33. And then Vilu Vakra came in in 9.19.29. So she even just about dominated the dojo of the men, beat him by about oh, 13 minutes. That is impressive. But then by females, she won by 23 minutes. From Kim Schwalbenbauer, who she was racing up in... I'm in Canada a few weeks ago because I remember her racing against Joycey uh, and Jessica Donovan was in third place. So, yeah. Like, I guess, I guess at this stage of the season, lots of people are getting ready for uh, for Kona, but good on Liz Lyles. I don't recall her name popping up a lot over the last uh, period, so that is a crushing result. One other big piece of news this week is Chrissy Wellington is going to be inducted into the Ironman Hall of Fame. And John, I was thinking about this. She must be the first, the closest athlete to retirement to the Hall of Fame. I would have thought so. Yes. By country mile, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, you, you keep talking. I'm going to put up Ironman Hall of, of Fame. I kind of wonder if... Uh, when Natasha Badman's kind of still active, but not really. Uh, Is she so in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. She would be the only other one that sort of springs to mind because, yeah. And yeah, she, but yeah, well, she did still race as a pro. Okay, so let's have a look. Okay, so we've got Peter Reed, Lou Friedland. Fried, yeah. Uh, Heather Fuhrer, Louis Bowden, 15. Greg Hoshier, Stefan Pishing, uh, Hugh Lorenz, Pete, uh, Peter Henning. Graham Fraser, Mike Riley, the Hoyts, Jim McLaren, Greg Welch. Greg Welch was 2004. He retired. Oh, and he was no, he, 80s, he, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was 90s. Gordon Heller, John, Bob Beber, Doctor. Not yeah. many athletes are there. No, I think it's mainly the athletes of the 80s and 90s that are there. So Mark so. Allen's there. He was 97. Mm-hmm. Paul yeah. Newbury Fraser was 96. Scott Tinley, 95. Julie Moss, probably Dave Scott. So Dave Scott's 93. What about McKaylee Jones? Is she in there yet? No. No. So Dave Scott was 93. When would have he retired? Dave Scott, well, he kind of had that comeback when he was sort of 40-odd, which would have, I don't know when that was, but that was... Uh, but 89 was the, the Hoyts race, wasn't it? 89 was the Iron War and the Hoyts race, yeah. And then the next year was when he got second, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But then he came back one year when Greg Welsh won and he was second that year or fifth that year. He had, he had two comeback races. One was... He, he ran ran himself up to something like fifth. And I think the year Greg Welsh won, maybe he was second that year. He was, uh, okay, I'm going to look at that. It was a very you. impressive comeback. Well, so actually he got it sooner because he was probably retired about 1990. Yeah. And he got he, he was the first inductee to it. Hmm. So actually Chrissy's not as close as him, but still pretty close. So we've seen a real resurgence from, resurgence from Chrissy Wellington on the tri scene. You know, she was absent completely since retirement uh, through to really this year when she's sort of came out of the woodwork around rope time and um, we had her on Legends earlier in the year and then now she, I saw her yesterday on Facebook. She was at Ironman Wales. God, that looks like a good race. Really want to go and do that race one day. Uh, James looks, Thomas loves it. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Great crowd support. Really challenging all-round course. Tough swim, tough bike, tough run. But it really looks like the community gets into it. So go go your good thing, Ironman Wales. Yeah, go Wales. Uh, so Chrissy Wellington, yeah, good on her. Okay. Um, you talk about the next thing. I'm trying to find Coming the championships. Coming up this weekend, we've got Challenge Barcelona, also known uh, – not Challenge Barcelona, Ironman Barcelona, also known as the Draft Legal Ironman World Championships. I'll back it up. Dave <laughs> Scott. Dave Scott got – into the Hall of Fame while he was still racing. Oh, okay. So he got Hall of Fame 1990. Okay, Hall of Fame. Dave Scott, 93. He got second in 94. There you go. So there you go. So yeah, Greg Welch won 94. He got second. Hmm. And he was only four minutes behind Welch that year. Yeah, he was closing in. He yeah. was having a good run. 
So back to the, as I said, the draft legal Ironman World Champs in Barcelona, uh, where the packs are ginormous for the age groupers. Not quite sure what it's like for the pros. It could be, it's a bloody big pro field, and could be some interesting racing. You have Joe Skipper down racing. He did Challenge Almere a couple of few, a few weeks ago, so he might have a little bit of fatigue in the legs. You've got the super veteran Victor Zemensev. You have to put Joe's favourite. Well, you would, but if, if you, if on, you yeah. smoked, you smoked, you know. Uh, Bastideran is also there, but a big old list. Uh, one other one to keep a lookout for is Mike Phillips. Yeah, there uh, we go. Uh, well, the thing is with Mike, he's he's a great swimmer and a good, strong cyclist and good, steady runner. And so if it does turn into a bit of a draft fest, he's going to be right in the mix. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd rate him a pretty good chance. Go, and Mike. Then, and then you've got guys like, you know, Philip Graves, who'll probably be uh, in front of or not too far off Mike in the swim, and he'll be smashing the bike. So I think you've got enough hammerheads there <laughs> that it could more difficult for Joe Skipper to ride up to them. Uh, he may he may well do that, but he's going to have to ride pretty hard. They won't be mucking around too much. Um, Yvonne? Yvonne Vlavlerken on the, the girls' side of things. There was a couple of other names. What did I write down here? Oh, yeah. The other one to look out for is oh, yeah. Sven Riederer is making his Ironman debut. So if you remember all the way back to the Athens Olympics when you had our famous New Zealand 1-2 in the triathlon. Oh, was he the guy got Sven Riederer was third. And he was Greece, a, Greek, wasn't he? You no, know, he's Swiss. Swiss was, yeah, he was wearing red, wasn't he? He's a very consistent performer on the ITU circuit. Uh, I know he's been doing some halves. I don't think he's been setting the world on fire, um, but, you know, the dude, can, he's got the full package in terms of he's very strong on the bike, obviously a very good runner, and I'm sure he'll be right up there out of the swim as well. So look out for him. Did he, did he have much of a career? Oh, he had a very long career, very consistent. Probably didn't win a gazillion races, but consistent, lots of consistent top fives. Okay. Um, we've also it, got Ironman. Hold on. And as you said, Yvonne Van Lurken on the girls' side of things, Lusa. Huth Haler, and then on debut is Kimberly Morrison, who you remember we had on the show a long time ago, British girl who is ex-cyclist. She rode the same as Daniela Reef at a 70.3 or was off the bike with her, so she could. it's highly likely that she'd be first off the bike, and we'll see what sort of uh, run she can put in. Ironman Taiwan is coming up as well, and... Uh Interesting stuff. We're going to talk about this in a second and when, what the hell's going on. But I'm in Taiwan is happening. So what's happening in this race, John? We had uh, a few Italian winners there. Last year we had Daniel Fontana and the year before that Domencio uh, Palsuello. Uh, so the times are not fast here. So last year he won in nine hours 50. Uh, no, that was the girls' side, sorry. I was going to say, that's <laughs> not very fast at all. <laughs> he did uh, 8 hours 40 last year and 8 hours 25 the year before. And they must have done a, a, a significant course change or something because the girls is similar. Dee Dee Griesbauer was 9.20 and then next year was 9.50. So last year it was obviously a lot slower for some reason. Uh, now you got Marino there yeah. going out there. He's, uh, he's having a good old season going out there and doing some different races. I saw an interview with him a little while ago uh, at Challenge. No, at Ironman Canada, I think it was, and he's yeah, you know, he just loves racing and wants to go and win races. Fair doesn't enough. doesn't race that often, but when he goes there, he is going there for the win. So clearly not going to Kona, um, and you would expect him if he can handle the heat to really go out there and crush it. But you have got uh, all these fields. You've got pretty decent sized fe- pro fields at these races. Um, you got Roman Guillaume there. You got Freddie Cronenberg who will be 
always on fire at the in the hot races. So good, should be a good little race. Uh, only about nine or ten in the girls' race. Uh, you got an, a, a Anna Watkinson from South Africa as the top seed there with Daniela, Mark, and Lauren Weisner as the other top three. Okay, John, we've also got another little race coming on. What's in Brazil? Yep, I couldn't find out any information about this, but the Longio Cabra del Pesta is on in Brazil. There we go. Okay, John, it's what the hell is going on? And, and I, even I'm a little bit angry about this one, John. I think there's some pol- political stuff going on in China. Because that is interesting, isn't it? Last week we reported that a 70.3 had been cancelled only one week before the race yep. in uh, Chongqing. And uh, this week the Hifi uh, 70.3, which was scheduled for October 22nd, has also been, they say postponed, but cancelled really. And the official word says the local authorities have decided to cancel or postpone a series of public events in the next few weeks, which unfortunately includes 70.3 Hefe, among others. We regret the situation, but are committed to ensuring that you have the opportunity to fulfil your goals crossing the 70.3 or Ironman finish line. Now this is interesting. The 30 available slots from Ironman 70.3 Hefe for the 2018 World Ironman Championships we move foremost to the 70.3 Thailand Triathlon which takes place on November 26. In total Thailand will now have 30 slots for the Ironman World Championships and 30 slots for the 70.3 World Championships. Additionally athletes electing to transfer the entry to other open Ironman or 70.3 races will automatically enter into a draw among uh, with the transfer athletes from 70.3 Changqing uh, for 30 slots to the seven, uh, the Ironman World Championship taking place in Kona and 50 slots for the 70.3 World Championships taking place in um, South Africa. I reckon there's got to be high odds for getting a Kona slot. How many people are going to transfer to another race? So you just get an entry just for going to draw for transferring? Yeah, so say for example there's 1,000 people entered the race, maybe 100 of them go and say, okay, I'll go and do another race. Then you've got... 30 slots out of say 100 that's just plucking numbers out but i you'd wonder how many people are going to transfer but very high odds this is a disaster for them isn't it it is i do wonder if there's something political going on here um that you know it's just a different bizarre. country and bizarre and i'm in a not a mickey mouse outfit in terms of these things happening but in some of the countries they say no bugger you you can't have your race so just <laughs> don't care about what's going on and the the pr storm that it might cause in the iron man world but that's kind of my suspicion as iron man are not monkeys i think there's something else uh going on as to why these events aren't taking place could be karma because we've been ranting about how all these uh, slots are just getting given away uh, at these races. So I think there was three races in China that we're all having Kona slots. So, um, yeah. Yeah, but the thing, John... It, it, it doesn't give you a lot of confidence to go next year when they schedule races in China, I'm going. Well, because the thing is, what's the cost to the athlete? Yeah. You know, like if let's say you're someone in Australia or even other parts of Asia and you thought, you know what, I'm going to go do this. Well... It's a, it's a big investment. Your travel insurance ain't going to cover them cancelling the race. No, shit, no. And all those kind of all the costs and time you put into it. And sure, they can say, "Well, you know, come to the race in November." Well, that's not easy done. No, you know. And, and then we look at the, we had the pro last week who was saying, "You know, look, this is my job, mm. and I don't get any you know anything back if they change this race." And it does put a big scar on trying to having races. Absolutely, you know. Yes. And as you say, if you're thinking about doing a race next year. And, and they've used the golden ticket of Kona races to get people to race in mm. China. 
and it's proving to be and like so I've just done a just the distance between them is two hours away on a plane so it's not like they're close local regions and it's interesting it's the same excuse both times mm. so there, maybe there is something bigger here John but it's a Chinese company now yeah but they're in a bit of trouble remember we had that um, yeah. release a while ago that they've been getting their hands wrapped for for improper business conduct so, so if we're speculating we could say well maybe this is a way of punishing their company Potentially. Now, yes. that's total speculation. Yeah. That's, what Bevan do, that's what Bevan does on the show. <laughs> of course. You're, you're full of 100% facts. Um, so, be, what I find really interesting is what will be, what they put on the calendar next year for races. Mm. That's going to be pretty fascinating to see. But um, just sorry to those people who have actually committed to doing the race because it kind of sucks. Uh, Lee Spores sent her through an email to say, hopefully you're enjoying it. Super League, just wondering about something I heard on Macca's latest podcast. I don't know if you, this has occurred to you, as i completely forgotten about it, the Triple Crown is still on this year, and such as Reef and Gomez are still one for a nice payday of a million dollars if they can win the Bahrain 70.3, as they are both the winners of Dubai and the World 70.3. Everyone seems to have forgotten about this, including me, but I just thought I'd mention it in this case. Now, John, we had totally forgotten about this. Well, I'd forgotten about it last year, and I brought it up, and it's... Was it last year that Danielle? Yeah, Danielle Reef won it last year. She won it sure. the first year. Yeah. Well, uh, no, she didn't win it last year because Holly Lawrence won the seventy point three World Champs. She won it the first year. Yes. Yeah. But um, there hasn't. Been, uh, I would be hesitant to say that it's on because uh, the website hasn't been updated since September twenty sixteen. But it's just it's an odd one. If it is on, that's extremely odd that they ca- they can afford to pay someone a million dollars. Uh, potential, highly likely $2 million of outlay and they can't pay someone uh, a couple hundred dollars to update their website or even promote this. Bizarre. It is bizarre big time. And also, no one's there's no PR around it. No. You know, like normally, even because nowadays it's so aligned with Iron Man, you think Iron Man would be promoting the crap out of it, especially because they're not paying for it. Like mm. it's coming out of the prince's pocket, isn't it? Weird. And, and But now, if Gomez can, and Reef can get the money... Well, good on them. Absolutely. But, but and also now, who's going to turn up for Bahrain 70.3? That's not a big race on the calendar now. I think it has a re- one of those races has reasonable prize money. It's a regional championship. So I think they still get a good field because uh, there's, re- there's pretty pretty good money on offer. Yeah. This is, what's the value? Mm. Like who, What's this for? Now, now, obviously the Prince ain't struggling. <laughs> no. <laughs> and maybe a couple of million dollars to them is not much. Still got to invest wisely. Still got to get a like wouldn't, wouldn't we rather say, give us two million bucks to do something cool in triathlon? Mm. No, no, man, two million dollars isn't going to do much, but John's local triathlon could do a two million bucks. Or, or put on a super league race or something like that there. Yeah. This is strange. So if you if anyone has a bit more information on that, give us a, give us a, an email and let us know what the goss is. John Sponsor. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. So we had uh, Ironman Chattanooga on last weekend, and well done to all you athletes that participated. If you go to athlinks.com, one of the cool things I like is you can scroll through the results from previous years. If you have got your result from this year, you can put it up there as a provisional result, and then they'll get all the results updated when they're sort of finalised. But just scanning through last year, it's cool to see people like Matt Hansen, who's a you know top pro athlete, he's got all his results on. Oh, athletes. nice. So you can sort of, he got the fourth there last year. Uh, you've got Chad Halberbaum um, and Adam 
Ostot. So all three of those guys uh, we've had on the podcast before. And you can go through and see these guys that are pros and actually go through and see their progression. I didn't know that Matt Hansen came out to Ironman New Zealand a few years ago. Oh, really? Um, and a lot of these these guys have got, especially the guys who have gone from age group through to racing as second tier pros so I wouldn't classify Matt Hansen as a second tier pro but a lot of these guys um, like Chad and Adam who we've had on the show who are more age groupers racing in the pro division it's really nice to be able to see their progression as they've moved through um, so we had Daniel Clark I think yep. emailing yesterday might get him on the show in the next uh, little period and you know he, he submitted to our show my first try and he did some ridiculously slow time in his first ever event and, uh, and now he's racing in the pro ranks and so these guys are, and girls that have got all their results on Athletics, you can actually go through and actually see their progression as they've gone through. So um, if you've got a race coming up or you've just done a race, go and check out the previous results and sort of see how some of those top athletes or athletes in your age group, in fact, may have how they've sort of progressed through to uh, through to the top parts of their division. Mm, check it out, athletics.com. And while you're on there, if you haven't signed up yourself, you can sign up and just get into the habit of every time you do a race, you just go in, athletes, quickly upload it or link to your race and it's something you'll have forever john last week's good discussion was a popular one john my discussion the week before was a disaster yes you nailed this one john what do you have for breakfast on race day people love talking about food they love putting their pictures of what they that what they've baked up on facebook and i know how that frustrates the hell out of some people so i thought i'd uh, ramp up those frustration levels no jokes aside i was actually genuinely am interested to see what people have for breakfast because there's such a wide variety and why do you have particular things and how does that sort of fit in the nutrition spectrum of, of what nutritionists might actually be advising because uh, there is. Do you always have the same thing? I've got into a fairly good routine now and, and, and so what I have is something that's easily transportable and I don't have to rely on uh, hotel or motel services or anything like that. So I basically get up and I'll have uh, two M's uh, power cookie bars yep. and then then I'll be basically taking in whatever else I can. So I'll do that around about three hours before the race and it just kind of depends how much my stomach can tolerate. So I'm aiming to eat as much as I possibly can without being stupid about it and yep. getting sick, but I'll definitely down two M's bars. Um, I'll have my extreme endurance uh, and then I'll basically be trying to have... Uh, whatever else I can fit in. So I might get in some uh, Generation U can, or I might have some peanut butter on toast. Um, but the main part of it is, is the two M's bars. Get well hydrated uh, initially, not going again over the top. And then I sit, then I make sure I'm, I'm not usually having anything in the final hour before before race start. Good what, old about, what, about, what about you, Bevan? What do you, you know? What? I'm really uncon inconsistent. I, I don't really race much nowadays, but um, porridge. Yep. I would have a, so for me, my strategy is... Get up, have porridge, some bananas on it, you know, good good sized meal, and that's going to be probably two hours before the race. And then I don't really eat much more other than I have my gel about 30 minutes before the race. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's just go. Although I'm not doing iron distance nowadays. Right. So, you know, so for like a marathon, that's what I do. Um, just a really good low GI carb meal I go for. Yep. You know, that's kind of my aim. And then get my high GI carbs about 30 minutes before the race starts. And that may be a gel, might have some lollies. Um, even just like a party mix or just and, and you're always going to get different views on whether having something 15 to 30 minutes before the race is a good idea or not so some nutritionists are going to say that's not a good thing mm. um, others are going to say uh, it is a good thing so mm. 
Works for me. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the thing I always talk about with my athletes is that your job is to learn what works for you and it's a bit of trial and error. Mm. And, you know, you, we give formulas for our runners to say, here's what kind of nutrition says. Yeah. But your job is as you get more wise in your athletic age, it's about learning that. But Stephen Taylor's totally opposite to you, John. Yes. He has as little as necessary. Mm. So my last big meal is lunch the day before, then a bowl of cereal for dinner and breakfast, plus a coffee. I do drink coffee as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would you want to need to cram your GI tract before racing? Nothing before the swim. Race fueling starts at T1. Wow. Lucy Francis, who's a very experienced campaigner, breakfast being the most important meal of the day is a fallacy as for us low-carb athletes. Before each race, the most important meal is the dinner the night before. Mine is rich in protein, usually a juicy steak with some veg, but not many, uh, but not many, so as not to have too much fibre. Serve with a good helping of fat, such as olive oil or butter. In the morning, two boiled eggs and a spoon or two of almond butter. I'm a coffee addict, but on race day, I stay away from it because, as it's a diuretic. Good, Shim Greenboo's good. I've been racing on a keto diet for the past year. In the past, I would have had the carbo load with a nice Miller Lite, but now I have switched to gluten-free beer mixed with a gob of butter and coconut oil. But in all seriousness, I find keto to be easy on the GI track, so I make he, a coffee. He did put a smiley face next to Oh, that. yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> need a beer. Um, a GI track, so I make a coffee with some protein powder and add some coconut oil, cinnamon, and turmeric. There you go. James Thomas, James Thomas, the Red Rocket. Not getting a new nickname, James. No, that's a great nickname. <laughs> Stuffing my face at 3 a.m. is a tough prospect, so I like to keep it very simple. Usually some toast or bagel, cinnamon raisin, with some peanut butter, instant oats, some fruit, eggs, boiled or scrambled. Pretty much covers it. It's a big breakfast if you get all that down, James. Or at least a red Not much and similar to any other training day. Bone broth. Some homemade almond bone broth. I'm loving a bone broth. <laughs> homemade uh, almond cashew nut butter. Coffee with coconut cream and almond milk. We'll have some starchy veggies and carbs the day before, similar to some other comments, refit adaptation. Carb fueling on race day will start at T1. Tim Newman, same breakfast most days, training, racing, or lounging around. Fruit, nuts, coconut yogurt, and coffee three hours before racing, regardless of the time. I had a Richard Swanee Noah's got I had a prominent I am talk listeners day with me in race national Olympic course championships. Let's say his name starts with P and rhymes with Bill. <laughs> Who is it? Philinator. Oh Phil. Oh sorry, I got a little lost. He had bacon and eggs for his race day fuel. There you go. Does, yep. And Richard's got a reply there. James Hotel gives a what do you call that? Big what? Uh, last one I will do let's go Glenn Newbold four over easy eggs covered in salt on two on two pieces of toast followed by eight pieces of toast oh yeah and uh, with butter and peanut butter washed down with a few bottles of Ensure um, uh, Glenn is a former basketball player he's 6'6 250 pounds big unit so need a lot of fuel to keep going Kevin Hunt's a bit like me and you John he's got instant porridge for the longer races and M Power Bar, uh, both easy to consume, never had gastro or nutrition issues, so stick him with that plan. So if you if you do want to get ideas, especially a lot of you guys that are maybe doing the low carb diet, you know, there's quite a few people on here that are very passionate about their um, about what they have. Have you read Noel Fenn? No. Two 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 hundred milligram of Red Bull, a snack size two snack size sticker bars, forty minutes before the race start. Yeah. 
<laughs> so there's, again, there's lots of ideas. There are nutritionists and other people are going to tell you, oh, you must have this, you must have that. As Bevan said, there is no right answer. There's some recommendations depending on what sort of diet you're going to follow. But then you've just got to tailor that. You know, if you're somebody who's got gets a really upset stomach, then you know you're going to have, it's better to have a little bit less and if you're following a keto diet obviously it's going to be way different to what somebody else is going to have who has a, a diet more rich in carbohydrates so there is no right answer but the idea of this post was really to give people a few ideas and I think especially when you go if you haven't traveled for a race a lot you know thinking about practical solutions is, is really important. Okay, good times. It's a good discussion. Okay, this week's discussion, John, we're going to be asking, what are you most looking forward to seeing in Kona in 2017? It's not long to go now. It's only a few weeks. It really is, isn't it? Yeah, it's only... Uh, Basically, next time we're in the studios, we'll be doing the prep show. Mm. So, what are you looking forward to seeing? Uh, not necessarily just on the coverage, but just, just the overall hype. What are you looking forward to? Okay, that's this week's discussion. Statistic. It's fantastic. I didn't really give you a warning then, did I? You I, just did. Kind of, I just went into it, John. I just went into it. Statistic, John, what's happening with Statistic this week? Well, last week, I think it was, or the week before, I was talking about how many athletes there were on the ITU list that had actually done ITU races. And we tried to do the same with Ironman, but at the time, I couldn't find. You know, it was the start of the new year, so there wasn't many athletes on there. Yep. So I did manage to delve a bit deeper, and there is, they do actually have, if you dig really deep, you can find the KPR for previous years. What was interesting for me, so this, this week's stats, 332. That is the number of pros that men that raced last year uh, did iron distance races. Um, but what was interesting was, in 2016... You mean this year? Uh, so that was yeah, qualifying for 2017 Ironman, okay. it was 332. Yep. You've probably seen this, Bevan, but how many do you think there was in 2016? John, I've got a feeling it's exactly the same. It was, bizarre. What's 332, both years in a row. Crazy. It is bizarre, isn't it? Because Ironman have nothing to do with that. No, it's just how many people want to rock up, and I'm, I'm sure people come and go. Um, mm. But I would have... I wonder if that's a growing number over time, or if it's a... You know, I wonder if it's slowly getting higher or is it kind of slowly getting lower or where it's at? That's another stat for another day. Oh, there we go. Uh, on the girls' side of things, 173 females last year. Bevan, how many do you think in the year I know before? the answer, John, but I'm going to say it's pretty close but not equal. 172. Oh, that's on. So quality over quantity when it comes to the number of female athletes racing because we know that Torsten has done his stats in terms of the quality of the women's field at the top end and it's very comparable to the males. Uh, but in terms of quantity, basically half hmm. uh, the number of pro females is to pro men or should I say people who enter the professional category. There we go. That is this week's stat. Okay, we've got an interview coming up with Steve Kirby and Wayne Kurtz. Kurtz, Kurtz, Wayne Kurtz, and they are all into long course triathlon and a crazy one. It's a long interview, guys, but it's a pretty good one, this one. So here are the two boys. Righty ho, team. So in triathlon, we race over many different distances, and uh, sometimes we watch the short course guys in awe, going, How the hell do they go so fast? But a lot of us can go and do those distances. Uh, but then on the other end of the spectrum, we have these guys that we commonly refer to as nut bars yep. that Definitely. go super long. They do doubles, triples, deckers, and we sometimes comment on these races, but often don't know the real insides of it. So we've got a couple of experts on today. We've got Steve Kirby 
from USA Ultra Triathlon who runs a bunch of races in the States and also Wayne Kurtz who is a ultra distance nutter, he's a tax advisor, an author, a speaker, an athlete and he's got a book out on, uh, on racing as well so welcome along to the show guys. Thanks. Right, so Steve, um, you know, we, we do cover a, a few ultra distance races, you know, um, certainly Ultraman uh, Hawaii we always have a look at and we, we occasionally get other results popping up. But can you give us a bit of a, a rundown on how the ultra distance community is in America and sort of the history around how we've sort of come to where we are now? Sure. The. Um the first double in the world, the first ultra in the world, actually happened in the United States back in 1985. This guy from um, Huntsville, Alabama, went to, he did the uh, the Ironman in Hawaii in 83. You know, that wasn't so bad. What if we double the distances, make it really tough? So we went back, got a bunch of friends to help him. For some reason, he backed out. Ray and Nancy Shepard took it over, put the first one on in 85, and they held it there until 90. Six. They canceled the race in 97, and I had just started working with a small race organization, and we were into the ultra distance on the adventure racing side, the Eco Challenge, the Raid Gawal type of stuff. And uh, and the owner, Don Mann, was going to do the double in Huntsville, and when they canceled it, seeing how we're on the ultra side, we asked them if we could take over you know, the event. And they said, sure. They gave us all the, the applications, the history, banners. So we started the double in 98. We added a triple in 99. And uh, we're still, you know, while I left the company in 04, uh, it was sold in 2005. And, you know, I was the admin web results timing and all that. So I knew all the athletes. I knew some of the other race directors. There were six of us in the world putting them on. So I had a little you know, ownership of these things, you know, I, I was, it was near and dear to me. So I took the double triple over. We still held it in Virginia where we've been holding it for a long time. And then I added a, uh, another double down in Florida in 2011. And then four years ago, we added another double out in Oregon. Um, the Florida race is in March, uh, beginning of March each year. The Oregon race is in July, uh, Second to third weekend in July, it all depends on how, you know, the fourth, our, one of our holidays, you know, falls out. And then we have the double, the triple here in uh, Virginia in October. And every other year we kind of put on a, we have been putting on a quintuple. Uh, we just had one a year ago. Um, and uh, so I've got the only ones in the continental on the land side of the United States. There is a... Uh, Two events held out in Hawaii during the year, uh, you know, four or five times the distance long. Mm -hmm. And then Mexico has some as well. When you're talking about United States being North America, mm. we um, um, they've been held there for many years. How has sort of the growth with the events been? Like, if, if uh, has it sort of, you know, obviously in Ironman and triathlon, we're seeing a, a, a bit of a dip at the moment in terms of uh, athlete numbers. It's been rising for a very long time, and, and now things are starting to dip a little bit. W what sort of numbers do you often get at these events, and, and how has that changed uh, since the first ones? just getting the thoughts together <laughs> you know we're seeing growth and it was it was that double-edged sword 
you know, if I if I promoted the race too much, and then I would overfill my race, I'd have to tell racers no. Yeah. So that's where I started looking down in Florida for a um, for a second event and promoting that. And um, you know, we've done well with those. And uh, both of those are on the East Coast, so we kind of started looking out west. Um, I was looking in the California area. They are very, very difficult to work with, just their standards and their requirements. And Wayne can tell you, uh, same thing. He was looking at putting on, you know, a deca 10 times distance out there and and uh, just frustrating. Even for a local race director who has one of the largest triathlon clubs out there, knows these city officials and all that. They just, their requirements. Um, so we get somewhere in the 20s to 30 range upwards of 50 mm-hmm. the most ever that's raced in the world was i think 62 in slovenia two years ago mm-hmm. but usually somewhere and there's still seven or eight of us putting these events on mainly the doubles triples and we're around 30 upwards of 50 people mm-hmm. now something surprisingly i'll add um, and we've been trying to promote it with the women uh, we've always had plenty of guys uh, but women you know one woman two women whatever I had 10 women racing Florida a year ago, which nice. is the most ever. Um, and I've got about that or more so far interested for uh, next March down in Florida. So we're pretty proud of, of um, you know, getting that many women. Hmm. Um, once they realize some of the other people racing, you know, our people aren't pros. And, and there's a little misconception that, Oh, you got to be really, really good, you know, and fast or whatever to race these. But when you come to one of these races and you see some of the people racing that, you know, they're, they're just normal, everyday human beings with with the tremendous desire to push themselves. A lot of people have trouble doing the Ironman distance, um, find that they do better with the longer distance. They Once they get in their groove, they're like what we call the little energizer bunny. They can just keep on going, you know, not at a fast speed but they can go fast enough to finish it within, you know, we allow them 36 hours to do a double where in an Ironman you have 17 hours. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Wayne, if we ask you, you know, you're working towards um, trying to have a DECA over there in the States. Um, I I assume this is the first DECA that's been held there, and I believe you've done them elsewhere in the world. So maybe tell us a bit about the DECA and the challenges that you guys will face and and, and how different it is to putting on, say, a a double or a triple. Yeah, and it's a couple different thoughts to that uh, question. The first is this would not be the first. This actually would be the second in the United States. We actually had a DECA back in 2004, I think it was, guys, in Hawaii. Um, in Hawaii. And, oh, my God. Yeah, and I, I tell you, I, not to get into all the details of it, but it was a disaster from what I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were lots of things that went awry, but at the end of the day, most importantly, no one got seriously injured. Safety is always a key priority when you're going that many days. So there has been one, number one. Um My goal is, and I think Steve as well with me, both of us together, we want to try to make sure that we make this event that we're trying to have in 2018 uh, very, very well received and the largest DECA ever held. That's Mm. that's kind of the goal. I guess that's the American way, right? We got to go big. (laughs) This has been a personal journey. You know, I'm old. Steve's old. 
I've been racing 30 years, so the legacy will be if we can at least get the DECA held one time and make it a success in the U.S., great. Then my wife can stop like you know yelling at me anymore about this stuff. But <laughs> um, just in, in general terms, there's two different two different types of DECA. You're both familiar with those, yes? Correct, or do yeah. you need me to highlight? No, no, no. Like, so you got the continuous the continuous uh, one where you do whatever it is, a 38k swim and I guess an 1800km bike and a 420km run, whatever that is in miles, or you can do one, one, one event per day. Correct. So the, the, the old classic version or the continuous is the preference from the older, more experienced athlete, especially our European friends, they like that version. Mm. It's very difficult to try to host the race when you're going out over 14 days in one venue that's a closed in area that's safe. And that's been the challenge is trying to find the right venue and not, you know, in, in making sure that it falls within those parameters with insurance and everything else, any other type of race requires. It's that has been the difficulty. We have finally located a, a uh, location now in Louisiana outside of New Orleans, right in New Orleans that preliminarily looks pretty good. We're still trying to get the final approval on the course, but the other challenge as well is the pool because mm. keep in mind, you're not having an individual swim, you know, 38 K out in open water, right? Yeah. Cause they're, they're given a day to finish the swim. Yeah. So trying to get the pool close to where the bike and run circuit is, has always been a challenge as well, but we think we've got one lined up. We've got approval on the pool. This yeah. would be targeted for next year, but the logistics of the difficulty of going just that many days, and it's kind of like thinking of the Tour de France. It just keeps going and going, but it doesn't stop. You have to have a restaurant open full 24 hours a day, food, injuries, doctors, all of that. That's the challenge compared to a two- or three-day event, in, in my mind. Um, and, you know, looking at the costs and the budgets as well. So it's, that's, that's probably the biggest hurdle, and I think to some degree why it hasn't occurred as much here. You know, Mexico has been the classic. They've had it forever. They've, you know, Mexico has held, there's been what, uh, 14, 28 total decas. If, if you take a look at the history from 1992 to today, and it's split down the middle, half one by tens and half classics. But over the last, I'd say five or six years with all my competing in the decas, a lot of them recently have been the one by 10. It's mm. just easier to manage. You know, you're, you, you're given one day to finish the race and then you start up the next day. It doesn't just keep going with the clock. So, you know, if you look at the countries, they've been, you know, I've raced Mexico the most, um, done Italy several times, including the triple deca was there, the 30 by one Ironman thing, which was completely insane. We were lucky no one died in that event. Um, <laughs> um, we, we, you know, we wrote, I wrote a whole book on that one. But so basically you have Italy, Mexico, Switzerland, France, uh, the UK, Ireland, I think those are the most. Uh, I think those are the places where it's been held the most locations. So, so Steve, you're obviously you know organising um, these events for for quite a long time. What are the the key things that you really try to make it so it is a really good experience for the athlete? Is it you know does do, is it um, what have you seen that's been good and bad around the world in terms of other events and what you really pride yourself when you put on your events? Well, one thing that kind of separates us from other race organizations, and and I try to keep it in mind, you know, we're we're much smaller in the terms of the number of people that we get, so we can get a lot more personal. Um, 
I got these athletes always coming back to me. Oh man, you're the greatest. You're the I mean, I love you. I mean, you're the best race director. But because and and part of it, yeah, I do spend a lot of time emailing them and and we work things out where race large race organizers can't get that personal with their athletes, you know. And part of it is out there what we talk about in the Ironman world. I mean, you're just a number. Uh, you don't really get to know other people, but with us, yeah, you got a number on your bike and your um you know, your running bib, whatever, but, you know, you're John, you're Bevan, you're Wayne, Steve, you're Rick, Susie. I mean, everybody's a, uh, uh, you know, a person and, you know, the athletes are helping athletes and, uh, and, and we allow support crews, you know, we encourage support crews only because the, the length of the race, you can't carry all your nutrition and, and, and drinks on, on the bike or the run with you and to stop and to get it, you know, I myself, you know, we provide food, you know, if you want to eat the food that, that we're providing, you know, you're welcome to it. It's free for the racers, you know, and for my staff and volunteers, if the uh, support crews want to eat, then they pay me because some people have five, six, eight people, others might not bring anybody. Um, but these, these volunteers, these uh, support crews are helping other support crews. Um, we've seen it Wayne and I, where somebody will get done with a bike and they're on the run. Somebody else has a bike issue. They're either loaned them the bike or they're giving them tires or something off of it just so this guy could finish or, or you know, girl. Um, so, yeah, we we are smaller and, and we can cater a lot more um, to them. Um, and you, we don't have a true transition area. We call it, well, us here in the United States, we call it a village because uh, that's what it is. You're hanging around for over the 36 hours for the triple or the double, 60 hours for the triple. Um, you get to know one of you know, the support crews get to know each other. It does get boring out there waiting on your athlete to come around. So you talk to the person next to you. So it's a, you know, it's a little family village type of a thing. Um, we, uh, you know, part of the, 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 the close knit support and all that, you know, there, there, there's a lot more that we put into it to make it a, um, an experience for them. What, in terms of um, how far down the track you are for the Decker, um, you know, you've said you've, you've identified a, a, a possible or probable venue. How many people will you be taking for the event, if people are listening that are interested? Um, and will you run, you know, I know at other events you have um, a single, double, triple. Will this be just a standalone Decker or is that sort of to be confirmed? You want to take it, Wayne? Sure. Um, it will be the deck will be the main focal point. So there will be both versions of the one by 10, which will they will swim in the lake in the one by 10. And the continuous or classic deca will occur as well. That will occur. The swim there will be in the pool. And then we will have both versions of the quintuple, the one by five and then the continuous quintuple. So four total races, we will stagger them. So you will have athletes coming and starting the races later in where we try to get everyone to finish relatively around the same time at the end of the two weeks. Mm, nice. <laughs> okay. So no, no singles, no doubles. I mean, Steve has, we've got the doubles pretty well covered here. And the idea was to really promote the idea of having the DECA because to answer your, one of your original questions, I think it, it's, it's like the marathons. I mean, worldwide marathon numbers are down, triathlons are down and not dramatically, but we've seen this downward turn. And it's, I think, so many events that are out there. The same thing has happened in ultra, ultra triathlons. And I did a quick look 
this year across the world. And the double Ironman participant numbers are down a little bit. Hmm. But there was a DECA that occurred in Switzerland about a month ago, and the numbers were very, very strong. And, when, you know, as soon as Steve and I started talking about having one in the U.S., we get about 1,000 emails of everyone who wants to do it. Yeah. But the maximum we could have in the classic DECA in New Orleans would be 32. And the overall goal would be have a total number of athletes in the, I don't know, 75 or so would be it, all in. Mm-hmm. But just Yeah, yeah. We, we're doing 32 because it's a 25-meter uh, pull. We do not have any 50-meter pulls nearby for us to use, which is what you, you try to do. So we'll put four people per lane. So that's mm. where we get that number 32 for the classic DECA. And then the uh, both the 1x10 uh, the and the 1x5 and the continuous quintuple will be done in the lake there at the park that we're using. Nice. For an athlete who's kind of thinking about doing it, for you guys, do you have a criteria or credentials that they need to be able to apply for the race? And, and also, do you get many females doing the race? Yeah, I, I think to, to mention kind of what you were saying before, Steve, um, if there is a growth, it is in the women's side. Uh, we were we will have we'll have plenty of women, I think, uh, based on the original responses. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's going to be a big marketing and promotion piece because there haven't been many women who have actually done or finished the race. Mm. So uh, that maybe answers the second part of your question. Mm. Maybe you can talk yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's been plenty of guys over the years, and and there there only be one, maybe two women racing. You know, the Deca, the double Deca. You know, these long things. Um, the race that just happened in Switzerland, there was three women doing the DECA. Um, yeah, three women doing the DECA, one from the United States, one from Canada. I'm sorry, four women. One from Canada, one from the United States, one from England, and she's the one that puts on the DECA nowadays over in England, Claire Smith. And then there is Alexandra Mittner from um, Austria, I want to say. Uh, who she should have broke the world record for the continuous DECA, except they they had two storm um, um, stoppages of the race because, you know, electrical storms, they had a tree fall over the <laughs> course. They had to get it out of the way. If that storm hadn't had happened, because you have to, you know, you know, they stopped the race. And so for that five hours total, um, she would have broken the world record for um, – for racing it, um, that was in the DECA, and then the quintuple had you know a few women in it. Um, we're getting you know a bunch more. There's a DECA taking place in Mexico. Actually, Wayne is leaving um, in two weeks to go down to it. Uh, we've got a couple women going down. There's another American that is on board. She's going to be doing the double with us, using it as training. And we joke a lot, you know. People go do the Ironman, you know, while they use it for training. They're doing a marathon for training. It's a training race to come do the double or the triple. Um, so, yeah, there's a few more women going down to Mexico for the um, for the DECA and the quintuple down there. And, and what about um, the criteria? Like, if, if I wanted to apply, do you, oh, do you check yeah, the yeah, – Sorry about that. I forgot the first part of the question. Yeah. Um, so, criteria-wise, I mean, we would like to see an athlete that at least has some – credentials of background in doing law for instance you know if someone's doing able to do 100 mile train trail races running races because we do get a little bit of crossover from that community 
you know, that adds some to it. Um, doing a double or a triple in Steve's races makes it a lot easier for criteria. But, you know, someone who's done a, a seven-day adventure race or done something with some length to it, you know, should be fine. I mean, someone who's just done a, uh, you know, a Olympic distance triathlon, they got to kind of question it to a certain degree. <laughs> is that a right fit? Because the goal is we want people to finish. If you look at statistics, the one by 10 stats show about 50% of the people finish. that start. It's, it's very, very difficult to do one per day. doesn't sound like it, but I've done both and we've done enough analysis and it's it, been enough social media arguing the point. But it, you have a lot more time doing the classic, and that finish rate is about 78% mm. for the classic. So I know Steve and I really want to get a lot of finishers, so we want to make sure people are, are well, well trained for it. You've got to train for the race, there's no question. And anyone that does long stuff knows that. So, and, and Wayne, in terms of um, advice, you know, you've got a, a book that you said you wrote. Um, there's also, you've got some good tips on your website as well. I noticed one of them being uh, your support crew should lie to you quite regularly. <laughs> <laughs> you like that, guys. You like that one, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but what advice have you got for Ironman athletes? You know, so I know you said maybe uh, guys that have done you know, multi-day races, they've probably got an idea of what they're getting in for. But if you've got someone who's, you know, most of their career just focused on Ironman, so they know how to go for, you know, 10 to 15 hours and they think, I want the next challenge, what advice would you give them and and what things do they need to consider, you know, in terms of maybe um, budgetary, what they need to consider on a budget reason, uh, um, uh, what they need to consider on... Uh, um, cost. cost and in terms of training as well mm -hmm. well i guess the, the easy answer is just buy all three of the books and they'll be set to go there you go <laughs> there you go <laughs> good sales man and we got to just give you another right in america we can give you a little sales pitch, wayne right? kurtz.com to get those <laughs> and the new book is it's all about the decade just was published here about two weeks ago and the soft copies will come out but that's purely for the decade yeah. So just to give you a couple things, I think the one learning lesson, and, I, and a lot of this is like, I think, both of you and for, for Steve, everyone, you learn from other people and you learn from races and you read and you become a self-learning self machine. And I think the one thing for someone stepping from an Ironman to a double, a triple, or moving forward is it's tempering the pace. And that's very difficult for an Ironman athlete, right? If they're racing it, you know, he or she's racing at 10, 12 hours, and you're now going to move to a double, you have to really temper the pace early on. That's where most of the mistakes happen is when someone comes out of the gate and it's hard to hold back in the very beginning because of the excitement, but you pay for it later in the race. So you have to kind of temper it in each of the three sports, number one. Number two is movement. It's pretty basic. It's common sense. But if you look at any of even the, the world record holders in the double, which is some of the times are, I think it's what is 18 hours, Steve. It's like crazy. Well, Steve. that's what I was just about to bring up. It was 1952 for the double and they just had somebody, was it in Austria that that went faster than that? Yeah. So you got to realize so even at that level, it's about movement, you, you know, eliminating the stops, staying on the bike, even if you're falling apart on the run, just moving. And it sounds it sounds like that's just simple and easy, but when you get out there, it does become a big, big benefit where you can, you can do significantly well by just moving more than anything else. So that's, that's the other. Training-wise, 
if you take a normal, you know, top Ironman athlete, not a professional, and they're putting in 15 to 20 hours of training a week, you don't need to do much more than that. I think when I did the first book, I think the average was about 20 to 22 hours of training. But I've kind of brought that back because recovery is so much more important, as both of you know, especially as you get older Mm -hmm. and the Achilles start feeling it all the time and the hard training rides and runs, that if you keep it in the range of the statistics, most people that are racing, men and women, and I've done some surveys, average about 14 to 16 hours a week of training. That's it. But a lot of it is experience driven. Once you get through the first one, you kind of, you know, you kind of look and see where do you need to fill in the gaps in terms of the training. But it, it's about, you know, doing a hundred mile running race. You don't have to go out and do massive, you know, 250 mile bike rides by any means, but it's just being consistent more than anything else. But your final question though, I think, I hope that helps a little bit on the training. There's a lot into the training like anything else, but on budget. And I put the, put this together um, in the most recent book, because it was a question that I got, and I know Steve, you get it all the time as well, is what's the total cost to do one of these things? And I'm, ju- I'm just going to give you the example that I used in the recent book on the DECA. Okay, so all in. If it's an athlete who wants to go and do the DECA, entry fee, one flight. Now, I'm not adding all the crews in, but usually you typically have one crew person or, you know, one individual or two, depending on which type of DECA, the range is for everything, miscellaneous, extra food, stuff that goes wrong. Everything will go wrong in the DECA. That's one thing we can guarantee. (laughs) Everything goes wrong. Nothing will go smooth. And the price range, and you have to convert your currency, right? And for Americans, it was cheap going to Switzerland this year. You know, we were on par. Now, in Australia, you see the strength against the dollar. It's much more expensive, right, if you're racing here. So it's between $5,800 and $7,800 is how I calculated all in. And I put a little budget spreadsheet, mainly because in the past, especially when I was in Italy, I saw many individuals that just had no idea what would, what would be entailed in the expense and got themselves into financial mess when they came back. Hmm. So it's good to have a good budget going into doing these things in your mind. Now, that's the DECA. It's nowhere near that expensive to do a double or a triple. I'm talking about two weeks, flight, crew, everything that you might need there. So if you take a look at it in cost per mile, you could do a cost per kilometer, Yeah. which cheaper. And I know everyone argues that point, but it's significantly cheaper to do. And I'm all about that. Cheaper cost per mile than doing the Ironman. You spend $800 <laughs> on an Ironman without spending flights. Isn't that? But this is from an idiot person going crazy over here. So, you know, like, <laughs> for, for what it means. But that's kind of range pricing. It's uh, and also you got to factor in obviously the the two weeks away from work and things like that. So Absolutely. yeah, it's um yeah. also one thing that you mentioned as I said before is is the support crew and and um, Steve was saying early you know it's it's optional at the the double and the triple to have a support crew or not. But you've had a lot of experience in what makes a good support crew. So what's your advice around that? You know. Do, do partners make a good support crew or is that not necessarily a good idea? And you did also, I, I saw something you posted or a, a clip you did saying about the, the lying and uh, so maybe just a few tip, tips around support crew. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a perspective. And again, I'm, my wife, I've dragged her along for these things. Steve knows my wife really well. So yeah. I've been able to, um, you have to take that comforting and nurturing 
component from a spouse, man or woman, doesn't matter. When you see your athlete or husband or wife really destroying themselves. I mean, it, it is, you know, it, it gets pretty bad. And I've never seen anyone finish a double or a triple that's smiling the whole way through. There's plenty of bad, like an Ironman, right? Same thing. So I think the one thing is, is don't baby the athletes. And all I mean by that is if you over comfort them, it's like beware of the chair in ultra running, right? You sit down in the chair the first time, then you sit down the second time. And the next thing you know, you're wasting more time and more time. So my crew person, Rick, Rick, Steve knows Rick has been with me for all of these things. And he is an old time ultra runner. And he believes in that same theory. You don't baby the athlete. You, you keep them on pace. But most importantly, he lies to me all the time. He does it purposely. You know, and the example would be during the triple deca, when we're in Italy racing for 30 days, every day at about, I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon, you're just falling apart, feeling horrible on the bike. It's that bad part of the day. And Rick would kind of tease me with, get four more laps in and you can have some ice cream or whatever it might be. Well, you know, I'm doing four laps. I'm trying to count. You, your brain can't think. And it's like I've done seven or eight. Like, when is, it, when is it coming? So he would purposely lie throughout just to kind of keep me going by most, most importantly, forward momentum more than anything else. So I think there's a benefit of that. You just can't over baby. And you have to be firm. I mean, it's, it's sometimes difficult. I wrote in the book the amount of crew drama. Steve, we could write four books on crew drama. So yes. broad, fights, craziness. I mean, like you, you can't even imagine when you're hanging out with people for two weeks. Right, Steve? Right. <laughs> just so. to, it, takes, it, it, it takes, you know, I can think of two good ones. One of them, this guy, Billy Collier. He was kind of, you know, crying in his soup. Whatever, and whatever. His wife actually jacked him up and, and, and threatened him. So, look, you don't, you know, straighten up or whatever and get your act together. I'm flying back home and you can find your own way home, whatever. And it, he straightened up and he finished the double. That's, he needed some tough love that time to finish it. Then I've seen some other people where the, the spouse or even a friend was so worried about, you know, and, and it happens with parents a lot more than maybe – the spouse that, that, you know, they, cause like Wayne said, everybody is suffering out there. Um, and, and they can't handle that and, and they get scared of it. And, you know, you, you can't have that. So Wayne, just back to you. Can I just clarify? You said there about a triple decker. Was that in, in Italy? Was that doing 30 Ironmans in 30 days? Yeah. It was. It was. This is the one I said earlier that we're lucky no one died. Uh, yeah, it was the first one we held. It was an official race, timed. Um, I, and I wrote a, the first book about this was called, it, the book was my co-author, Stefan Zedestrom from Sweden. We, we wrote the story about what happened in Lake Garda, Italy in 2013. And it was an Ironman a day for 30 straight days. And it was, um, it was crazy. There were eight of us that finished the race. Um, we went through, you can only imagine I got hit by a car twice. <laughs> I broke a hip. I mean, it was anything that could go wrong, went wrong, but thank God everyone got, you know, the people that finished, we were banged up and everything else, but we did survive. But yeah, there was an official one by 30. It was originally in the Guinness book of world records. And then there was all kinds of drama that occurred with the registration. And, uh, it's a long story, but that book is called stronger than iron. And I wrote it with Stefan a couple of years ago. So oh, the story God. of what happened. Beautiful. Part and of interesting it. enough, 
that uh, they found, you know, that their, their time started like maybe, and there were some 11 hour guys, you know, finishing every day in 11 hours. And they got a little slower and towards the middle of the race and the end of it, they actually started getting faster again. Their bodies got accustomed to the, uh, wow. the rigors every day. Plus they started getting better food, you know, quality proteins and things back in Wayne can tell you. And the time started dropping and getting faster. Nice. On average, two hours faster, which was kind of really interesting because wow. you, yeah, once you got past like day seven through 22, most people averaged about two hours faster than the beginning. Nice. Crazy. So, so um, Wayne, maybe just, uh, or no, Steve, uh, maybe just tell us your sort of your, your long-term goal here, you know. Um, I think, Wayne, you guys were saying, you know, you just want to make a decker happen. But what's your sort of, uh, have you got a, a longer-term goal on, on really where you want to take this? We haven't really chatted about it. Um, like Wayne said, we're both getting older. He's been racing many years. I've been putting on these events since 1998. I'll be 62 in December, and somewhere, it, it it's hard. You know, I'm a one-person show, so during the year, it's me, myself, and I. I've got a 24-foot trailer full of gear, tables, chairs, you know, timing equipment, cooking equipment. We're in the middle of a park. Sometimes we don't have electricity. I've got generators to to power up coffee, you know, makers and, and cooking equipment. And so I get it loaded myself. It's harder when I get back cleaning this equipment, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, it'd be nice to retire one of these days. Who's going to take it over? Um, you know, there's questions. The DECA, yeah, we're going to put it on next year and we'll see how it goes after that. I mean, um, if, if the course works really, really well and um, which – where we're at, you know, the longer you go, the more things you kind of need to make it doable. We have a lodge that that has cooking facilities, like two fridges, a freezer. I mean, a, a commercial grade stuff, mm. gas stove. We get electricity to run the timing equipment from that. There's two bunk houses that sleep upwards of 65 people. There's bathrooms there. So those are the things. You know, I get people that, that call me or email me all the time. Hey, I got a great place to put a race on, man. You know, we could swim here. You bike here. They don't take into account all the other, I mean, sleeping facilities, you know, uh, cooking facility, electricity, mm. um, the, the local government. Is it a large um, community? A larger community has a large airport, Los Angeles, Miami, you know, things like that to make it cheaper for people to fly in which also relates to a large community with a larger volunteer base so you can get volunteers. I mean, Wayne and I, we can just start ripping all these these little nice things that, that you need where other people, they're just worried about a swim or a bike course. Mm, you know? Actually, <laughs> I, I organize enough uh, short course events that I can share at least some of your pain. Um, yeah, Wayne, yeah, Wayne, yeah, same thing. <laughs> Wayne, and, you know, the longer you go, the more days you go. You can't have people driving way way far away in order to sleep you know and 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 have a decent place for them to lay down and get some quality sleep you know when they do take a break um you know all those little things are important so, so wayne um final question for you would be you know just to make sure that people's expectations are in the right place i would imagine that uh if if a standard ironman athlete is going to rock up to a uh a double a triple a decker you know either one of the events you guys put on or or elsewhere in the world i'm imagining it's pretty old school in terms of very basic um yes you look after the athletes you've got that personal relationship but uh not to expect all the the bling and 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 uh and corporate side of things that we see at so many events these days 
Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, it's kind of like if you look at the the original foundations of ultra running, it's kind of the same family atmosphere um, that you see in the ultra triathlon space. And that's just not in the U.S. It's it's the same over in Europe as well. And they're great races there. They're a lot of fun. And if you guys have raced there, I'm sure you know there's a different different environment. And again, we've got people come from Australia, from Asia. So it is. It is more of that personal touch. And it's nothing against the Ironman, but you're not going to have that expo with, you know, as we say, a candy store for the local triathlete. Mm. And then their spouse says, your limit is $1,000. Don't spend any more on all the stuff that you don't need to buy. <laughs> buy. Yeah. Right? We do the same thing. And you, you won't see, you probably aren't going to see the $14,000 bike in an ultra triathlon. Yeah. Like we might see at the Ironman start of uh, wherever, in Hawaii or whatever, yeah. that kind of thing. So yeah. it is... Um, you know, it is, is much more of that closer-knit family type of uh, thing. And you get to know everyone. I mean, some of the athletes were pro triathletes, super fast, men and women, and you can talk to everyone. It's not that you can't do it in Ironman. It's just harder in an Ironman when you've got, you know, 2,500 people and then you've got a 20,000 spectators and everything else around. So it is from that side. That's what I think keeps people in the sport. If you do the surveys and when we ask everyone, it's always the same. You know, I love the family. I'm not going back to the Ironman. I mean, usually when Steve and I get them over, we hold them. We don't want them to leave. <laughs> we, keep them in, we keep them in the family as long as we can. That's right. Nice. So, guys, if you want to uh, check out any of Wayne's books or he's got a bunch of uh, advice, he's got some uh, video clips and stuff, go to wayne-kurtz.com to check out all Wayne's details. Now, Steve, just a final plug from you in terms of the events. Maybe just quickly run through the um, the events and the venues that you've got, roughly when they are, and if people want to find out more about those or the upcoming DECA, um, where they should go and do that. Yeah, the uh, the website is uh, USA Ultra Tri T R I dot com. Um, you know, I, I maintain it myself, so it, it's not one hundred percent professional, but it's it's eighty percent. I mean, it it you know it has all the information on it. Uh, um, you know, I'm leaving in a week from today for my Virginia course, but uh, starting next year, the um, I don't have the calendar in front of me. But it's the second weekend in March. We have the uh, double, and we call them anvil here in the United States. We used to use the use the uh, iron term, double iron, triple <laughs> iron. But the Iron Man people came after me like five years ago with a cease and desist, and you know, and that term has been used since 1985 with the original double, and um, and there's never been any issues. And I thought of fighting them, and a friend of mine, a patent attorney guy. There's two issues. One I could win. The other one. You know, if, if I was willing to spend seventy-five to one hundred fifty thousand dollars fighting it, I might win it. And we really chatted about it. It was probably, you know, in the long term, it was it was better that we changed it. Now we have our own marketing thing, you know, double anvil, triple anvil, because my logo actually has an iron anvil in it. And I actually take an anvil to the race with us, and we start the race with the anvil. And when you finish, um, I, I kind of was the first one to start this, and then the other ultras, and and I'm glad they did. But we have your national anthem blasting on the stereo when you're finishing and you have your country's flag. I've got 40 flags here that, you know, we have on a pole. Um, not that I've got 40 countries racing at, at the time. We get uh, 10 to, you know, 12 different countries. And we'll have that flag for you. So you finish the last little bit as you're coming into the, uh, the village. You know, people are clapping and whatever. You finish. We take the flag. We give you a hammer. And you strike the anvil two times, three times. 
and signifying your finish. Um, so yeah, so uh, March we have the uh, the double anvil the second weekend. The middle of July we'll go out to Oregon for uh, for the toughest, and this is probably the toughest double in you know in the world, um, only because the uh, the hills around the lake, and and not only that, but but uh, half the road's been paved, but the other half has this chip seal that makes it really tough. You just can't get that speed and maintain it on your bike. You have to perpetually always be riding. And then the run is um, uh, half on-road and half off-road. It's not hard off-road trail, but it's st- I mean, it's off-road. And then with, you know, the little bit of the hill to it. So the Oregon one is definitely, yeah, I mean, doubles and triples are hard enough. But, but so this is a little extra harder. We give you 39 hours to finish instead of 36. We're not that sadistic. Um <laughs> And then in October, uh, the first weekend in October, we do every year we do the double and the triple. And like I said earlier, we we have held the quintuple there. We this was the fifth time doing it, but with Wayne and I putting the quintuple on with the Deca next year, as long as that you know happens, we will not hold the quintuple. You know, in Virginia, we we'll just do the uh, the double. And we jokingly just the double, the triple. Yeah, well, joke. You know, it's just the double. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just a triple, you know, but when you get into this world after a while, you know, all your other races, your Ironmans, your halves, your marathons, you know, it's it's training races after a while when you're getting ready to do a double or a triple. Fantastic. Oh, good luck with the uh, the planning, guys. We hope you can pull it off and we uh, we look forward to covering your crazy little world that you're uh, you're attempting to build over there in the States. So thanks for your time and uh, good luck with the preparations. Okay, well, thanks, guys. First thing John said when we turned off, he said, uh, I'm not sure if that's for me. (laughs) (laughs) Full respect for people that do this stuff, but uh, a Decca is not my cup of tea. I think the really interesting thing that came out of that for me was the much higher rate of finishes when they do the continuous, where they do the whole swim, the whole bike, and the whole run, as opposed to doing one a day for 10 days. Now, you'd think that'd be the case because you'd think you'd rest more with doing the whole one for the whole day because continuous it's basically rest when you want isn't it I believe so yeah so in theory you could go although 10 days without sleep you wouldn't have to do it but you can go as long as you can have little bits of rest mm. you think they're kind of stopping each day and having a rest but yeah, it's interesting isn't it A the finish rate and B they said you know the popularity in terms of past participants they say they would prefer to have the continuous see I have to admit for me I had to actually leave first out for the interview so I kind of came back in the last part so I didn't hear him talk much about the continuous but um, for me doing the continuous is more appealing Mm. you know I'd rather do it that way Mm. I like the idea of the thing about doing it continuously is it's very free as in you set your own parameters you know like parameters and so um, and in some ways that makes it more of a challenge because then when do I rest and all those types of things. Whereas if the full one every day, you kind of know, okay, I've got to get done today, rest, recover, start the next day. And so, yeah, for me, it's a bit more appealing that way, although I don't see myself doing one. No. No. But maybe. I do love the whole idea. It's a community thing. And oh, yeah. Did, did, you, did he talk about the course? How they, what kind of course? Is it 25 metre swim? Oh, uh, yeah, they did talk about that. Okay. So you, all you, everybody will know about that except for Bevan. So yeah. let's keep it our little secret. Well, I had to get a battery for my daughter's car. <laughs> the guy turned up in the interview. Anyway, sponsor.
Uh, extreme endurance. Tell me about it. John, your lactic puffer. It is the first US sports nutrition company to use LGC sports science certification progress, oh. informed choice and informed sport. That means extreme endurance is tested for banned substances by LGC and has received certification by both informed choice and informed sport. Uh, so they're one of the world's premier independent drug surveillance laboratories providing unrivaled and internationally trusted expertise in all areas of doping control for sports. LGC has been testing supplements ingredients for banned substances since 2002 and tests thousands of samples each year. And in light of you know positive tests we see from athletes, uh, yeah, knowingly or unknowingly, oh, um, it was the supplements from, company's fault. Yeah, it's uh, make sure you guys look after yourself because they do drug, do some age group drug testing in Hawaii. I don't know if they really do it much elsewhere in the world but if you want to make sure that you are going as fast as you possibly can you're getting good recovery and taking that extra step with extreme endurance you can do it knowing that the products are safe okay xendurance.com guys have got a great range of products so you can check it out and uh, you can go there and know that you're going to be a, a non-cheating athlete John okay some more music Bevan okay, here we go Website of the week. We've got a couple of websites this week, and they are ones we have touched on in the past, but we thought we'd kind of just relive them. And the first one was sent. Oh, nice, one, nice work with that, Bevan. What's that? Our first one is called Relive. Oh, I, just didn't, I didn't even do that. It's just um, uh, Matt Crehan. Crehan? Matt Overload Crehan. Here we go. Sent through. Just got, I just thought I'd sent through a suggestion for a website app of the week. The app is called Relive. Uh, and we pair when it appears with your GPS and tracking app like Garmin, Connect, or Strava, and let you make a 3D map video of the runs or rides, sort of like Tour de France or UTMB mountain bike style. Uh, you can add your music and photos and have a pay if you have the paid version, but the basic version is pretty good too. Here's a link to a video that he did for his ultra marathon run, and I actually did a video for my run this morning. So it, it is really cool if you've got the paid version with that because then you can start adding in, as I said, photos and music and things like that. And so, get around the music rights uh don't know maybe they just don't do them don't know um whether or not you can choose from their music rather than putting in your own choice of music i'm not quite sure but you know especially if you're going and doing a camp or going and doing some trip and you actually want to share that experience it's uh it's a cool way of doing it so makes it look pretty professional like my run this morning looks pretty pretty Cool. Mm. So it's uh, re- relive.cc, and you can just, as you said, pair it up with your Garmin or your Strava account. When I was running this morning, I, was, I, I downloaded this app for my run. I didn't realize you could do it after the fact, so I downloaded it. And I was running, I was thinking, there's got to come a time where you actually have the Google Street View. So you'll actually have to just watch your run mm. as if, you <clears throat> know. Flyover sort of thing. Or even just as your eye site right so not even not even street view like from above more like as in just looking what you were watching when you're on that run mm. that's probably not that far away as well so that's pretty cool and Sean, then Sean do it do Lisa no dig it do Lee. dig it do it he does it too 
He does. He does it. He digs it. Uh, he sent through it. Now, we've talked about this in the past, but he was just talking about the, the documentary by Phil Keegan, uh, a Kiwi boy, who made a, a documentary called Le Ride. And he's just said, I'm not sure if you've heard about documentary. It's two well, we guys have. recreating the 1928 Tour de France. The documentary is based on the Australian team of four. However, one guy, Harry Watson, is from New Zealand, and he's actually from Christchurch. Christchurch, yeah. yeah. And Phil Keegan made the documentary, uh, and he's just saying, I haven't seen the film yet, but it's been really good reviews having any luck streaming but he then sent through another email saying if you guys mention it Amazon is streaming it for $4 in the US oh fantastic that's a good watch for you guys have you seen it yeah 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 oh it's brilliant yeah absolutely really good brilliant and and so what Phil does because it was the first time a Kiwi did the Tour de France and these uh, this Australian team went over in 1928 no one <laughs> respected them you know and, and it's Basic as, and what Phil does is he gets like, he gets the same bike. Mm. The the, co- the course is <laughs> big is days, insane, ten times harder than what they do now. And and we talk about rough roads in New Zealand. That was off road stuff, wasn't it? Mm. On like road bikes. It's and he does that. He does it while he's telling the story of the race as well. And the Kiwi guys or the Australian team actually does pretty well, and they get quite a bit of respect, don't they? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, that's really good that it's actually online. Amazon highly recommend it for four bucks. And. I, t- I actually did some work with Phil after the race, mm. or after he'd made the documentary, and he said it screwed his back for eight months. <laughs> oh, it does, it does not do justice for how hard it was. The move, yeah, he does, I think they it's fantastic, but I don't think they demonstrated actually how hard it was for them to complete it. Yeah, yeah, he said he was written off, like seriously, his back was screwed. So, mm. um, yeah, so check that out, I highly recommend. Okay, John, let's do Wanger of the Week. Wanger of the Week. Nice, what do you want to do this week? I'm going to say... Um, well, you got, you got to choose a number between one and nine. How about what did we do last week? I can't remember. Um, Let's go the most act, most activities in one week. Okay, so nice, people nice. Who, who are out there training really regularly they might not be going the longest, but they're going really regular. Do lots of ten minute sessions. And on the men's side of things, we have Ben Cobra in twenty three activities for fourteen hours. Well, it's and two a draw, seconds. John. It's a draw for the. What do you mean it's a draw? A oh, number of activities. Yeah, I guess then it defaults to who's got the most duration. So yeah. also with 23 activities, there's Andrew Kerr. He did 11 hours and 29 minutes training. And then a good old Pavel Chalicis uh, was third and 20 activities, 17 hours and 44. Girls' side of things, Joe Coombe, 16 activities for one day. And so there's a 20, 20 six hours of training uh jennifer moore did 13 hours uh, 13 activities and tony hodge did nine good so good work you highly active people john i think we should flag questions and answers because we're going for hours and i've got to i've got to wrap things up so we'll okay. come back to questions and we've got lots of good questions but we can dig into those next week on the show john, nadine voice you got 33rd and the total training for this week nadine lives uh flower power lives close yeah. by to bevan and myself good christchurch girl oh she's a good christchurch girl okay jombo uh sponsors athletes.com you haven't, you haven't got any um uh we've got to do two nicknames Oh, oh, the big ones here. Okay. Yeah. Thomas Long. Tom, I'm a Athletes.com. Oh, social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer and some patrons. We've got a couple of new patrons. Thomas Long. I'm a middle of the pack triathlete from Amherst, Massachusetts. Replacing my 
Addiction or addiction? addiction? To chain smoking with fitness at 30, I found a new community in triathlon. I finished my first sprint triathlon in 2007 with my first 70.3 in 2012 through a chaotic ocean swim. In 2014, I was building up for my first Ironman in Maryland. I was hit by a utility truck oh, while cycling and had to undergo a full shoulder rebuild. My target out of the surgery was full recovery and the goal of reaching the finish line of my first Ironman in 2016 at Mount Tremblant Ironman. And in a non-stop rain, I reached the line of my first Ironman in just over 12 hours, far exceeding my safe goal of going under 13. On top of my personal athletic goals, I'm a father of two, a full-time Tina professor of design and owner of a creative director of my own personal design studio, ideaco.com. With two full-time jobs, two full-time kids and a supportive wife, I'm committed to making a sport and fitness the center of my life. From 4.45am wake-ups to bike commutes for most weekend warriors, my passion is triathlon is always on my mind. So yes, he's a supporter of the show. John, you got a nickname? Well, I ha- I've got a couple of ideas. So uh, good old Thomas Long there. He's a uh, similar age to me. He's got kids similar age to me. But I kind of... Th- you can tell me if this is really silly, but okay, you can say his nickname is Going. Oh, no, no, that's good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I get it. Going long. Thomas is going long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Done. Yep. Is going. Yep, is going. No, that's good. That's good. And next one we had Adam Waite. And he's uh, just got, I'm here from London. Uh, I make iPhone apps for a living. Oh, that's good. Including triathlon race pace calculator. We'll, we'll put a link there in the show notes. I did my first triathlon in Nice last year in 12.09. Very close to Thomas is going long. Uh, and I'll be racing my second in Barcelona next this Saturday. Oh, good luck. I'm hoping to go under 12 hours. I'm coached by Rob Wilby at Oxford. Team Oxygen Addict, and you heard about him through I Am Talk. So he's attached a picture of himself looking nervous on the bike. John, have you got a nickname here? Well, no, his first rep- line of reply. So when people become patrons, I send them an email saying, Thank you, thank you, thank you, we love you. And then his reply was, No, thank you. No, thank us. And Bevan for making the show. Thank you, Adam. So I thought that was very polite. Oh. So I was thinking about calling him Dr. P. Okay. Dr. P, Adam White. Wait, Dr. P. Yeah. Unless you've got something better. Adam, Dr. P. Okay. Dr. No, P. I like Adam it. White. I like it. I like, I'm with you, John. Okay. Lock it in. Lock it in, Eddie. If you want to become a patron of the show, www.iamtalk.me. And obviously, you can tell us about yourself and we'll let people know about you. But you're obviously supporting what we do. And uh, you know, we, we, we get lots of good feedback from people saying we're an important part of your triathlon life. So the support you give us keeps us doing what we're doing. And also, you go into the draw to win a trip to Kona. So you can do that. Go to www.iamtalk.me for all the info. John, what's your goss? Uh, a little bit sick, just on the edge. Joe's crook ass. Is she? Do you know what's really funny about Joe when she gets crook? We, it was a, we went to Queenstown on the weekend for a long weekend. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a bit of a shaker's weekend, John, in my mind. Joe got sick. Oh, sore, sore tummy. She's been visiting no. the toilet quite regularly. No, has she? no, it's bad throat. Oh, okay. It wasn't toilet. No, but one thing that's happened. You, you did a, say last week you, she was going to get come home pregnant. She, well, she is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, I, did I say that? Did I? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't let her hear that one. Um... But she gets a lazy eye. Right. So she's like, it's right now. Oh. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Crazy. So, lazy eye. so, yeah, so you're, you're well, feeling better. No, I went away. So last week we had school camp with Thomas. Oh, that's went, right. How was school camp? Went away for three days with 50, much sleep? 50, 60 kids. Yeah, sleep was okay. Um, and a bit of rain for, th- for two of the three days oh, pretty consistently. But yeah, going away with 50 or 60 kids plus combination of rain. 
Plus, probably maybe didn't wash my hands as much as maybe I should have done. I don't know. But I uh, come back with a bit of a cold, as did I think half the kids. So good times, though. Very well-behaved bunch of kids. Highly recommend doing it. What was uh, the funniest thing that happened? So it was. they had a number of activities. So it was pretty full on each day. The, rock climbing got cancelled. So because the rock climbing got cancelled, they had this hall and they had this thing called Mission Impossible. Dun, they had a dun, whole dun, bunch dun, dun. of activities they'd go around doing. Uh, and they just had to work as a t- work as teams. And one of them was you had a, t- a, a person, your leader at the front, and then they were standing in front of two people that were sitting in a chair. Yep. And they had to mime to those two people what the two people behind them were supposed to be doing. And they were blindfolded. Oh, okay. So these two kids are blindfolded and they're standing there and there's like a ball. So wait, there's two seats, four seats? The first two people... No, there's two seats and there's one person standing in front of those two seats yep. with people sitting in them. And they're miming to the two people sitting down the message that they need to give to the two people behind them oh, okay. who are blindfolded. So she's trying to mime, you know, okay, so pick, might pick, be up, pick up a ball. Okay, great. The ball is on your left, uh, and then you need to throw it between each other, oh, each that's of you three times. Like this. Yeah. And <laughs> so these kids manage to get the ball, and the two kids are blindfolded. They manage to face each other, and she, they, they explain, right now, throw the ball to the other person. This kid just <laughs> threw it as hard as he could. It went straight into this other kid's face. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, obviously it had to be there. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, but things, they're just really good team-building activities. And we did lots of physical stuff. And I had quite a sporty group, but there was one or two that weren't that sporty. They just got on with it, no complaining. So it was uh, it was good times and really shitty weather uh, the second day. But the kids just loved it. So it was good times. It is school camps are pretty cool, aren't they? Oh, yeah. So, like, you always remember your school camps. Mm. Hey. So it was good times. So that really took up uh, my most of my week. Last round of the JD Duathlon series this weekend over in Corsia Bay. What are you? So oh, it's a triathlon, isn't it? Uh, duathlon. Oh, so of course it is because it's a duathlon series. Yeah. So late entries, you can uh, get in there and it's going to be on the same course we're using for the National Triathlon Championships later in the year. Uh, so that, Bevan, that's uh, going to take up most of the rest of my week. Watch The Martian at the weekend. Oh, you like that? It was quite That's good. a good film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it a little bit unrealistic at the end there. Come on. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actual factual. It's a documentary. Did yes. you not know that? Yes. Yeah. Other than that, uh, Bevan, what's happening in your world? Well, we went to Queensland, but I got sick, unfortunately. So it was, it was, yeah, she was pretty crook, the poor thing, because we had this big function on Saturday night. And it would, luckily it was in the hotel we're staying in because Joe got a bit crook and she came out for about 10 minutes straight back to bed. Oh, no. But she got to watch the election, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> so she got to watch that. So then I kind of didn't party hard because, you know, me, John, I'm a party animal. Uh, so we came home early, but she's getting better now. It's a bit horrible when your partner's sick, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. you feel a bit hopeless. Mm-hmm. You can't really do much. No. You know, and you try to be sympathetic and what can I do? And I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor. Exactly. Uh, so just, and, and Joe's kind of. Not that into using drugs. I'm like, when I'm sick, mate, give me everything you got. Me and Joe, I think we're on the same. Oh, uh, like, like, I don't use drugs much in life, so when it gets sick, mate, just give me what's going to get me better. She she used a little bit of drugs, but she's using more the natural way. And uh, I'm like, mate, just get the good shit in you. It's all right, look. Uh, now we do still have spaces on the uh, rote camp oh, next year. On. We've got to we've got to fill that up because uh, we have to do it by a certain date to make sure we get the entry. So if you are keen. Get a get a wriggle on and uh, we'll get on it. Yeah, don't don't make it's a, a a life. It's almost better than a school camp. It has been life changing. I'll tell you off here uh, for one of the athletes on the camp. It, it, and we sometimes have had that a couple of yeah, times. Of people go away from the camp and go, you know what? what I, I need to change life? the direction of well, my life a little bit. Camp Kierka, Ollie. 
Yeah. So he told me that it, when, when we got to, it was quite lovely actually, when we got to Germany, because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen Ollie since 10 years ago when we did Kemp mm-hmm. Kia and he goes, when I did Kemp Kia we we had a conversation. He goes, you had a conversation with me and it changed my life. And I went home, I quit my job, sold my business. Now I'm trained to be a physio and now I love my life. And it's like, mm. wow, how cool is that? Mm. Yeah, so if you so want life-changing That's right. If you hate your life, come on, come on, come on Kia Kia Kaha. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm in a train hard. Train smart. Kia Kaha. Kaha.